Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. It can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, you might hear that my voice is a little bit hoarse. And I'm not talking about ponies. Sorry, dad jokes. Um, that is because I have spent the weekend at Australia's largest gaming convention. A, a convention I used to go to every single year for years and years and years. And I absolutely adore but I haven't been in years. And this year I went back and I had a blast. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But if we're going to be talking about CanCon, in my opinion, there is only one man who is, in my opinion, the king of CanCon. And I know he's passed the mantle. I know. And the new, you know, Bolt Action TOs did a wonderful job this year. But in my heart, Number one bolt action TO for CanCon of all time is still Pete West. Peter West, welcome back to Cast Dice. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful, thanks, Brad. But I don't think you're going to be able to use that title for much longer. If the guys keep going the way they did this year, I will be dethroned in the near future. Man, they did a great job. The tables looked amazing for bolt action this year. Yeah, absolutely. It was a top-notch event, and um, particularly uh, the the terrain game really got a big boost this year. So it was great yeah. to return to BA with such uh, some great tables to play on. Now we are going to spend a good chunk of this episode talking about CanCon in general, talking about my experiences as a Marvel crisis protocol, CanCon player, just sort of general play. We're not going to get deep into game mechanics so folks can still enjoy that. But of course, Pete, you, you were able to play bolt action yourself. So you and I are going to talk about your experiences as well. But before we do that, we're going to take a minute to do something that I don't get to do on this show nearly as much as I would like, which is sort of talk about some things that we're excited about in gaming. I often try to stay as single topic specific as possible on this show. And I often miss the little stories that, you know, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there rather than doing a whole episode on it. And Pete, as a man who's got your fingers in as many gaming pies as I do, I thought a good place to start today, especially after seeing so many good games at CanCon, that it would be a good time just to talk about some of the things, also New Year, um, maybe some games or some supplements or some things that you're excited about moving forward into 2023. Now, I've got a list. And I know you've got a list and we're not going to spend all day on this, but what are some things that you are excited about? What's the first thing that you're excited about going into this year, my man? Oh, I think we should start with Xenos Rampant because I think we're both equally excited about that set of rules. Mm -hmm. um, so I've managed to get two games in before Christmas um, and it's uh, works really well. It's a great set of rules and um, I've probably been spending more time uh, list building for Xenos Rampant than I should. And, and I've got sort of campaigns planned out for 28 mil and 15 mil at this point. 
Oh, crazy. Yeah, no, I'm sticking with a 28 mil. Uh, after speaking to the author a couple of episodes ago, I got uh, into the weeds on listing myself. And I did also arrange a game before Christmas. Unfortunately, um, things came up at the, you know, as far as everyone was traveling, everyone was, you know, sick and or trying not to get sick before getting on airplanes. And unfortunately, my game got postponed a couple of times and we haven't picked it back up for January uh, after I came back from my trip to the States. But I can't wait. So. Pete, what are some of the big takeaways for you and Xenos Rampant besides the fact that the 10 dice mechanic is a thing? Yeah, look, I mean, the main thing is it's quick, clean. Um, it's very easy to use almost anything because I did very little preparation for my first game. I just grabbed a bunch of figures that uh, I had lying around and threw together a list and tried out the various types of infantry, heavy infantry, light infantry, snipers, all that sort of stuff. So worked really well. And um, I think that what it showed um, us is that you can sort of modify it for anything, which has meant I'm going to repurpose it to pick up two uh, games or campaigns that sort of hadn't been able to find the right rules for so the first one is um judge dread um i'm gonna i'm gonna use the rules for that so i've nice. fortunately that fortunately got a whole bunch of dread figures painted up so there's actually a chance it will happen i just need to add about two or three so even i can do that oh, really? um, <laughs> so do something mega city one um i picked up some extra figures at cancon from nick at eureka to do some mm -hmm. uh, city defense uh, and the other one is, and I probably mentioned this about this time last year, I picked up some of uh, the Star Grunt figures um, from uh, uh, having a sudden mental blank, the full thrust guy, GZG. Mm -hmm. um, and that's 15 mil. So I looked at a couple of other rules, but didn't find one that quite worked for it. But this looks like it'll be great. And I think in 15 mil, it might actually be even better with that smaller size and the ability to spread across the board um so yeah looking forward to doing some combat on the moon in 15 mil as well that's awesome yeah i have been eyeing up xenos rampant to play uh, as many games as i can using my star wars legion models now i do still have several old 40k armies and like you and i both we have you know generic weird miniatures for a ton of different things coming out of the yin yang i have the visitors from v from the 80s tv show um that i have almost enough painted to play xenos rampant and got just a bunch but i have entire armies of star wars legion models that i should probably play star wars legion with but i think lean into the xenos rampant rules really well as well and uh, i'm pretty excited about those yeah, no, I think it's a rule set that's going to see me get a lot of uh, different types of figures out over the next couple of months. Um, because, as I say, you only need to learn one set of rules and you can pull out a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. the, sky's, the sky's really the limit. Um, I've got a whole bunch of 15 mil stuff that I haven't touched in ages. And even I'm thinking about, um, you know, some maybe some massed World War One stuff that the rules look like they might be quite good for that as well. So That's cool. Yeah, well, I was thinking, I mean, with that rule book, literally, and I'm not speaking hyperbolically at all for a change, is half of that rule book is just ideas on how you can use the rules 
to suit any setting and giving you ideas of what that might look like to fit different settings so you can easily adapt things to match your thoughts. Um, and it really, really broadened the horizons for me. As I was reading the rules, I was like, yeah, this is good. This is good. I got it. I can see this fitting in a bunch of things. And as I started flipping through those you know, ideas on the different settings that you could apply to Xenos Rampant, my God, my, my ideas went into overdrive. The attention deficit disorder blew up. And uh, I, I almost went into complete choice paralysis of not being able to make a decision because there were so many great options. It was, it's yeah. it's a really exciting game for that. Yeah, my friend whom I'm playing with has actually brought a ty Tyrannosaurus Rex as uh, one of his units. So yes. uh, like, if you think about it, you can do it. <laughs> That's true. Now, you talked about uh, fitting settings. Now, I did mention Star Wars, but I think the other one is a couple of the local guys and I had been eyeing up the Dune miniatures from Skullforge. And I think we are going to be playing some Dune games. Uh, Dave has already got in with his Harkonnens. Uh, I think Albert's got the Atreides. And so I think I might be rocking some Fremen. We'll, we'll see how we go. But there's some pretty cool, you know, ideas of uh, forces. And it's so exciting that, you know, our good buddy Jordan over at Skullforge has made those. And uh, I look, I'm excited. I, I, I'm thinking, how do I get an ornith 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 ornithopter on the tabletop? And um, can I get a worm and put a guy on top? Like, how does that look on the tabletop? We're going to figure it out. I do have three desert mats and plenty of sci-fi terrain to make this work. And I'm excited. I love the idea, but I'm 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 a Dune traditionalist. Unless you've got uh, a guy making strange guttural sounds um, while shooting a weapon, I I don't want to know about it. <laughs> More <deep>. no, just... <laughs> exactly, <laughs> no, right? Lovely, but... <laughs> yeah, I uh, man, I I had watched the David Lynch movie too many times before I read the book, uh, and so it had forever warped my perception of the universe. Uh, and it was really, I, I don't know, I really enjoyed the new movie, and I think it does a much better job of matching the book. Uh, but I, yeah, I need to go back and reread the book again. And uh, I might also need to buy an art book, but figure out how to paint these things. Anyway, um, speaking of miniature agnostic games that suit all sorts of settings, I am really excited about another rule set. And I took two sets of rules with me when I went overseas traveling. I had Xenos Rampant with me, and I had a printout of the one-page rules, Grim Dark Future rule set. Damn, it looks good. Um, as someone who played Warhammer 40K religiously as my main game for, what, six editions, seven editions? I, I think I quit a week into seventh edition of the game uh, i just the game went a bridge too far and bolt action came out and that that was all she wrote i stopped playing only that and then i started playing lots of things but i've been wanting and i sold most of my 40k stuff over the years or traded or given away but i still have a couple of forces left and i you know i've been wanting to put them on the tabletop and i played a couple of games using the classic rules uh here and there 
Uh, and they've been a lot of fun. Um, but third and fourth edition, I think, were always my favorites uh, for Warhammer 40,000. And while I haven't played Grimdark officially yet, I did push a bunch of models around and roll dice when I was traveling, you know, being up early with jet lag when no one else is around, you know, let Brad do game stuff. So I really like the mechanics. It feels really, I want to say clean the way it plays. And there is an event for it coming up in Victoria in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so I think I'm going to pull out my old, neglected plague marine army from second third edition 40k and uh you know push things around and see what happens and uh you know just generally have some fun with it but they have some cool army lists for that game they pretty much have rules for everything that's in 40k past and present which is a lot and a bunch of extra stuff so uh I am also eyeing that up as a vehicle to play Star Wars on the tabletop. Again, using the miniatures I already have painted uh, and a variety of other things. But first and foremost, going to play, going to see how it goes. And um, yeah, the I think my biggest problem is I'm trying to juggle the mechanics between the two because they're both sci-fi miniature agnostic games. And I was reading them both at the same time, sort of going back and forth. Not good for my memory, but it looks good. Pete, have you seen this? I've seen them. I've never delved into them deeply, so I'll be very interested to hear about your experience. I'm at the other end of the 40K spectrum from you. I keep looking at the lore and being intrigued by it, mm. and I keep buying miniatures, but I've never actually played anything from um, Warhammer official. So I have a whole bunch of minis, and so I will have to have a look at these rules. Um, I'm really intrigued to hear that there's an event actually running around them. So it's great yeah. to hear they're getting that sort of traction, which mm -hmm. may mean there's opponents around. So I'll have to look more closely. And apparently, there's some folks playing in Sydney. I think there's a group in Mel. I mean, obviously, there's a group in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, there's I, I, I'm blown away at the size of the fa Facebook groups. And the interactions and everyone seems to keep saying the same thing, you know, can't stand 40 K anymore. Love the universe. will have these painted armies, you know, just want to play in this setting and this is the way to do it. And, um, uh, you know, you may love 40 K. I, I tried to pick it back up a couple years ago and I couldn't, I just, it just was too hard to make an army list for me. It just wasn't, it seemed like a game that required you to be, sort of universally focused on it to be aware of what other people had, what you had uh, and all the little, you know, command point stratagems and all this business. Um, and if you have the attention span for it and it's what you're interested in, I think it's a great game, but I think one page rules, grim, dark future is where I'm at with it, which is I can pick it up casually and play it, but I think it's also got the teeth and the strat, you know, the, the strategy to it that will give you a rich gaming experience. And that, I just think that's exciting. So yeah, big on that. Pete, what else are you interested, my man? Uh, well, um, I'm going to go back to my childhood here. Um, as listeners may remember, Brad and I are of a certain age, which is perhaps mm -hmm. a little older than some of your demographic. Um, but uh, 1980s, going back to Red Dawn, um, 
I uh, watched that movie obsessively as as a uh, child, and um, now Battlefront has brought it to the table. You can get Wolverines and Soviet airborne and Cubans. So, but look, I just got sucked right back in. I didn't even blink. Mm-hmm. I just I called up War and Peace and said, "Take my money now!" And they said, "We can't. <laughs> it's not out yet." And I said, <laughs> "Doesn't matter. Send it to me when it does." Exactly. That's right. <laughs> so, I'm waiting for my box to actually arrive. But um, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to getting in some in some Wolverines action. I don't know. Have you had a look at the uh, the Red Dawn, Brad? So. Like you, I grew up with that. And, you know, 80s action movies were my were my bread and butter growing up. But, oh, my God, I, I tried. I looked at some of the models and then immediately closed the browser and did not want to buy. Uh, but I have questions now because you're a bad man. With this game, I have the Nam version of uh, War, uh, Battlefront games, uh, as in... Um, Flames of yep. War. With that, you often have an American force, and then the VC in that are, you know, there. There's traps and they're hidden, and it's a, you know, it's a very static force versus uh, a fluid force that you can't see necessarily when you're going into the field. And there's some really great mechanics around that. Is that how this works in reverse? for team Yankee because the Wolverines don't have a stand-up force. And in that movie, the Americans don't really have an army. Yeah. So it's, I mean, obviously it's a war game. They have to sort of expand it out. You can't just focus on one group of Wolverines, but um, the, as I understand it and touch wood, I'm, I'm coming back to this game after like six years off and um I only got the book yesterday at lunchtime. So a lot of this is coming from uh, YouTube videos. But as I understand it, um, the Wolverines add to a US force. And they're basically kind of like the VC and the NAM books. But mm. it, they come on from reserve, but they come on in your enemy's um, part of the table. Um, oh, cool. And you can only you can only get, I think it's two squads of them. So they're not, you're, like, you're not going to be a whole Wolverine army. It's like, mm-hmm. so the sort of scenario would be, this is the Americans are counterattacking, driving out the Russians, and the Wolverines are, are popping up to help drive out the Soviets and the Cubans. Um, but they, they're only infantry, and they can only come with um, transport trucks. The trucks can mount a machine gun, but... It's an, a it's slightly bigger unit. It's not like one group of kids. But th- so this is sort of what happened after Red Dawn, where the um, the Americans finally counterattack and drive the Soviets out, and the resistance pop- starts popping up behind them, that sort of thing. So, I mean, the great thing is um, the fifteen mil is just big enough that they can make the they've got the little characters that are mm-hmm. you can clearly identify uh, with their movie um, analogs. So it's uh, it's that sort of, you know, you, I, you'll be hearing me yelling Wolverine from um, Victoria. <laughs> I may be yelling that as well, but for a different reason. And we'll talk about that when we get to CanCon. Um, the, oh God, I, I'm going to have to buy the book at the very least because it's going to have just the fluff text in that book will be so much fun to read. I mean, I, I enjoy the hell out of the books that Flames of War put out. And whenever I see one at a buy swap sale secondhand, I buy them because I just love to read the narrative that they lay out in them and the history. If it's you know World War II, uh, 
But God, that just sounds like a lot of fun. You're going to see lots of Soviet airborne behind gunships um, and uh, a couple of Wolverines running around. I can't think of uh, anything more fun. Right? Oh, and I've been fighting the urge to buy a set of uh, 15 millimeter Huey Cobras for a long time. Oh, Pete, this is my push me over the edge. Don't do it. <laughs> After all the times you push me over the edge, I'm happy to. I'm happy to give you a little shove. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, speaking of modern gaming, uh, just and I know I, I I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you know, news and events. Uh, we don't really do that on this show so much, so much as we talk about events, as in CanCon events. But I saw something that was interesting the other day, and I know we've talked about Spectre operations in the past, both with you and in general as a rule set. And I have been, I've had my eye on it. I like the mechanics. I like the way it works. But I've discovered that, um, well, it, the company that makes it has announced that they are going to uh, part ways with the author of the game. Now, the author will be taking Spectre Operations as it is independently and going a different direction. And the company that created Spectre Operations, as in the miniatures, will be putting out a new rule set under, now I can't remember who actually takes the name Spectre Operations. Is it, I think it's the miniature company, and then the rules will be under a new rule set, other way around? I think it's the other way around. Okay. The, new, the new book Spectre's producing is going to be called Asymmetric Warfare. Oh, that's right. Correct. That. I knew one of them was doing asymmetric war. Okay. Well, I'm excited both ways. Uh, and I look forward to seeing what the new modern rule set looks like. Hashtag going to use it for GI Joe. And um, I think I'm going to have to buy the new version of Spectre Operations because I think it looks like a great or asymmetric warfare because I think it is, um, it's a really fun rule set. And I'd love to see, you know, what they do if, when they update it. So, yeah. Watch this space. Uh, I will probably be talking about it. And I do have to acknowledge I have gotten a lot of messages over the holiday period with uh, people making requests uh, for episodes going forward. And I don't know if it has a new expansion or what's causing this, but in the last six months in particular, but over the last two, three weeks in particular, I've gotten a lot of requests to cover um, Badgers and Burrows. And so I will have to cover that game at some point going very soon or uh, you fine people on the internet are going to hunt me down. So look for that coming soon, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'll be looking forward to that one because I'm one of those new people who've been sucked into it. Uh, I just got the book the other day and I'm built a, bought a bunch of STLs to print out. I don't know what's driving it because... They, they have released two new supplements, but they're only very recently. But um, mm -hmm. uh, it was, it seems to be growing at a rate of knots. So I've joined the Facebook group a couple of months ago um, when my friends started talking about it. And it's just, it's booming at the moment. I, I, look, I mean, it looks good, uh, but I don't know why it's suddenly booming. But I, I hope to come back and tell you in a couple of weeks' time. But it's, but it's one of those games. And for those who aren't aware, it's anapomorphic animals human characteristic yep. animals as in they walk around on two legs and they wear clothes and they have yep. weapons 
and it's a fantasy setting and a, you know, animals walking around going on adventures. Um, hence the name badgers. And it's like dungeons and dragons, but animal creatures doing this. And it's kind of, I don't, it's not like the Japanese short, cute, big eye thing, but it is a little bit short, cute. Um, maybe from aesthetic, uh, Pete, help me out here. It looks cool. The, I keep hearing the game's amazing rules wise. Uh, what is your take on it as a man who actually physically owns the rule? Uh, yeah, so I've had a couple of reads of the rules and um, looked at the official barrow, uh, badges and burrows figures. Um, the, I mean, the, the official ones look, look outstanding. I just um, have gone down the STL route for the moment while I start learning it. But you're right. It's basically, you know, you build a gang and they have their own burrow or warren and you go out and do raids, adventures, that sort of thing. It's not, it's not, it's more war game than RPG is certainly my initial take on it. And mm. look, when you're talking about um, an anthropomorphic animals, they're always going to look sort of slightly cutish, but they're not leaning into that whole yeah. Japanese bug-eyed mini animal yeah. kind of thing. They're, they're quite um, realistic, seems the wrong word in this case, but they're, they're, they're certainly designed to look like animals, um, not not soft toys. All right. I'm going to have to go out and buy this now. Probably today when we get off this recording. You heard it here it's first. It's My lovely. power is officially gone. I'm buying Red Dawn and Badgers and Burrows. It's it's a lovely book. You won't regret it. it don't it, Whether you get a figure on the table anytime soon, it's a, it's a great book and it's a great set of rules to read. So well worth uh, picking up. Nice. Nice. Well, Pete, I think, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to mention or should we get into CanCon? Just speaking and pushing scouts out, I picked up oh, um, I picked up a bunch of uh, World War One Brits in the uh, recent sales by North Star. So I hope to get mm -hmm. that on the table and push around some miniatures soon. That looks like a fair bit of fun. It does. It looks like a great game, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to have to, speaking of games I want to play using my Star Wars models, uh scouts out is definitely one of those and i have to say that oh god i can never say this right squeak squat squamish squat squamous miniatures um they're an stl company and oh, they yeah. they have done the star wars lrdg which is amazing I want to, you know, want all the hover trucks with the machine guns and everything on it. It looks so good, but they started leaking images of their new jungle troopers in, uh, for the empire. And I'm just going, come on. And then I was, I was looking at scouts out and looking at those STLs and then was looking at Xenos rampant. This is just an awful rabbit hole that I seem to fall in and can't get myself out. I think this is going to be a big year of sci-fi gaming for me. Um, I even was looking back at my notes because about a year ago, Lee and I were playing some games or I guess we played a game and I played, I think uh, a couple of funsy games with myself of bolt action star Wars. Yes. I know there was a guy who did, those rules um but i was looking for something a little bit different um as in you know stormtroopers shoot like inexperienced but have the armor of um veteran troopers that kind of thing messing around with it and uh man star wars is so good on the tabletop 
And bolt action is a great game. So anyway, speaking of bolt action, let's get to CanCon. Now, CanCon, for those who don't know, is Australia's largest game convention. And it's not just an event for a single game. It's tons of games. There are lots of magic events. There's a lot of role-playing that's happening there. There's tons of tabletop games. And traditionally, it's been the home of some of Australia's largest Warhammer 40,000 and Warhammer Fantasy events. Um, in recent years, games like Kings of War, Bolt Action, um, all of Star Wars Legion, all of the big games get played there en masse. Um, however, in the last couple of years, I mean, partially COVID lockdowns in Australia, which were a thing, and then the splintering of a couple of scenes, as in who would be running what where, there was a couple of big games that jumped ship from CanCon. So Kings of War went to its own venue nearby, same weekend, same time period, uh, and it's just down the road. Uh, Warhammer 40,000, same thing. And so I hadn't been to CanCon in like six years. And the last time I went, half of the main hall was 40K. And everything else sort of trickled in around it. And Bolt Action got shunted way down to another pavilion. This year, I was really curious to see what it would look like, given the last couple of years attendance had been really down and a lot of the big games had gone. Uh, but Pete, how good was it to see CanCon back firing on all cylinders? It was packed. Yeah, there were a lot of people there. I haven't seen that many people in one space in quite some time. <laughs> right? It, it felt a little awkward at times, not going to lie. Yeah, well, it's very strange to see that many people around. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, the main, the main, the main indicator that CanCon was back was the queue for the Bring 'em by. Like it was just in play. It was two hours apparently at one. It was at one point. Like that's just bonkers. <laughs> mm -hmm. The well, yeah, as you say, the second hand mm -hmm. stall for CanCon was is well is one of the draws, and it used to just be a little corner of the main hall that people would run to between games but they had to have their own building for it this year. And there was a two hour wait line. Crazy. Uh, I literally ran out at lunch. I've, I literally had 20 minutes. I was like, I'm going to run through. I've had some friends say they want me to look for things. I saw the line and turned right around and went right back in and got a sandwich. Uh, and I made it back to my table just in time. Wow. It was, I was not expecting that. Yeah, and the dealer hall too, I mean, which is great for all the dealers, was packed, certainly on day one, got a bit better on day two, but I, you know, speaking to a couple of the, couple of the sellers, I think it went pretty well for them, so, like, CanCon's back, baby. Yeah, man. Well, I was talking to a bunch of TOs for different game systems, uh, the fantasy TOs who were on the show not too long ago, hey guys, um, they look like they're having a great time. Uh, but I was chatting with them. I was chatting with Abby, who was running the Marvel event. I was chatting with a couple of the guys doing the Lardy things. And they all said they talked to um, the Yellow Shirts, the, the event staff. Uh, and they all had said that it was the best numbers they'd had since 2019. Uh, and it was in 2019, 2018 numbers. And those were big numbers because CanCon had been growing at a steady pace for years. Yeah. And so to see that back again was so nice. And 
for me, it was wonderful to go back to see a ton of people that I hadn't seen in a long, long time. Some of them were old bolt action friends. I caught up with a bunch of old 40 K friends from like 15 years ago. Um, you know, and it was just a wonderful experience to sit down and have a chat or just wave and high five. Or in some case, you know, you do the running hug, you see them, you go, Hey, give them a massive hug. So good to see you. We both have to run to our next game. See you soon. And you know, you don't always see those people again, but just to have that moment of connection again after, especially after the last couple of years was so nice to see. Did you have the same experience, Pete? Yes, yeah, no, it was great to catch up with a lot of people and um, see some people in the flesh for the first time in a number of years. But as you say, it was just everyone was so busy getting in games. So it was like, hey, how you doing? Long time no see. Good and doing well. Yeah, great. So got to go. <laughs> but, you know, still good. No, still good. It was weird. So the way the Marvel event was scheduled, it was four games the first day, which is really intense. Kills my brain. As Marvel kills my brain as bad as bolt action does because it's really, you know, interaction intensive. You have to think the whole time. You have to make decisions the whole time. It's a real brain burner. And to get four games of that in one day, and then the second day there's two and you finish relatively early. So thank God I got some time to walk around a little bit on the second day. But even then I had to run to catch my plane. So um, I, I do want to say to everyone who ran up to say hi while I was playing a game, thank you so much for stopping. It was wonderful to see you. Um, I am really sorry that I couldn't talk more. Uh, I, I, I often, you know, said, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. But so many people came up to talk to me during games. My opponents were actually getting really annoyed. Um, and it was it was wonderful to see everyone. I just wish I had more time. It made me wish that I had, I don't know, somehow had one extra day where I didn't play games and just walked around and talked to people because, you know, all the people that I knew from old game systems were there and they'd all migrated to other games and everyone was on their own time, like lunch times and break times. And so there was just a never ending barrage of people I wanted to talk to and no time to do it. Um, did you have the same experience, Pete? Because You've been going to CanCon for a long time. Yeah, and that's the thing, as you quite rightly said, that the people who I started with in Bolt Action like a decade ago, slightly less, but um, mm -hmm. it's all they've all splintered to different different games, and so uh, you know everyone's working slightly different number of games per day, different timetables. So people would come by and you'd be in the middle of your game, you'd say I'll catch you, you'd go and talk to them, they'd be in the middle of their game. But look. Hopefully next year, CanCon will work out so that it's a three-day weekend um, rather than um, the sort of the two-day weekend in Australia Day somewhere that's completely useless. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll, we'll be able to arrange some uh, better catch-up if you don't have to rush back. Yeah, it was nice, though. I mean, I remember the old slogs where Warhammer 40,000 and Warhammer Fantasy events were three days in a row, and you'd play eight games over three days. and I'm not lying. There was there was one event, 40K, I'm pretty sure, where I was so tired that I actually took a nap under one of my tables between rounds because I was dying. I, I don't ever need to go back to a three-day event. However, God, those were good days. Um, 
And as you say, having a good three day weekend helps with that and, you know, helps, helps to keep that legacy going. Uh, but for, you know, coming back after so many years, it was nice that it was only two. Yeah. Um, I do have to say though, that Saturday night, it was wonderful to get together with a bunch of folks and then get to, and we went down to Bent Spoke, Bent, Bent Spoke Brewery, um, near the center of Canberra and uh, we had dinner and just hung out and talk shop. It was wonderful. Uh, I highly recommend the venue. If you guys are around there uh, and you're in town for WinterCon, hint, hint coming up or uh, CanCon next year or any other gaming event that happens in CanCon. Uh, it was great. Uh, Pete, speaking of WinterCon, I heard a rumor that there might be an event at WinterCon happening this year that you might have, you know, evil plans for. <laughs> yeah, I've decided uh, I'll keep going with WinterCon after being sucked back in last year. Um, it was a lot of fun and I'm, I'm enjoying it. And uh, if I can keep it going, that's great. So unless someone wants to fight it for me, I'll be doing it again in July. I don't think there's dates have been set yet but it's usually around mid-july mm -hmm. it's nice and cold in canberra but rug up and after listening to one of your recent podcasts brad i'm actually thinking about stealing the megatron format from mm -hmm. our friend in scotland uh, and for anyone who doesn't remember that is all lists must be a theater list mm -hmm. and once a th once a theater list has been selected by one player no one else can select that same list so It'll make a. I'm I'm looking forward to trying it. It's, I, as we've said over many years, I always like to try and do something a bit different for WinterCon, so that it's mm -hmm. not your standard bolt action event, but it will be probably a thousand points Megatron style event. So start thinking about what lists you'd like, because when submissions open, whoever gets in first gets to lock that list in. And if you wanted that list, sorry, too bad, you're gonna have to choose something else. I do have to say, I love that Alistair, Alistair Unicom, of course, uh, our buddy over in Scotland, uh, was one was the guy who invented that format. And I do love that as part of the Megatron 3000 format, once you're locked in, you can change, but there's an admin fee. Uh, and it's to cut down on people changing their lists every 10 seconds. Uh, and, you know, because as he said, just keeping on top of, that list to make sure that people aren't trying to submit lists for a theater selector that they can't have because someone else has already grabbed it is a lot of work with a lot of players. Um, but especially if they're changing it constantly. So I think he did a two pound or a, a five pound admin fee. If you change your list. Um, and he said one guy <laughs> changed his list 10 times. Um, but all the money went to the prize support for the event. So it, it went back into the community and uh, supporting the event, which was awesome to see. But yeah, man, if you're running the Megatron format, oh God, I think I'm gonna have to come up for that. That sounds good. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so money's a bit hard to handle. So I think what I'll be doing is you'll lose one victory point for every time you change your list um, off your whatever your final score is. So uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll see how the points go. But yes, uh, there will be disincentive to change your list. Yeah. Yep. Well, mm, he says, looking at the cabinet behind him with all the miniatures on it, which list to submit? All right. Well, 
Watch this space. As Pete uh, officially puts out information for this event, I'm sure either we'll have him back on or we will talk about it at length on the show uh, because uh, that is an awesome format. And I'm so glad to see it's coming to Australia soon. Now, the Bolt Action event, while we're talking Bolt Action, at CanCon was run by Tristan and Hari from the Bacon Burgers podcast. Um, they had Anthony from the old Ghost Army crew there helping them out. And I think uh, some of the other Bacon Burger guys like Garrett um, were helping as well. I think although Garrett was playing, it was a uh, – I, I have to say having – because the Marvel event was next to the Bolt Action event. The terrain setup for this year's Bolt Action event was really good. It looked fantastic. There was a great density of terrain on the tabletop. It just, it just worked. Uh, Pete, what was your experience with that? Absolutely. I mean, the guys really lifted the bar when it came to terrain. Every table was excellent. Um, great coverage of terrain. Um, and amongst those excellent tables, there was some like truly outstanding stuff that a lot of work had been put into and just looked amazing to play on. And uh, I think that they've set a, a real a real new standard, which um, uh, let's not talk about terrain at Wintercom, but I'm not sure it's going to reach that standard. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the, because one of the things I loved about a lot of the tables uh, from at least the pictures I saw on Facebook was the several of them had a nice theme. Um, did any of the themes sort of jump out at you that you thought were worth mentioning today? Because obviously it's an audio podcast and we're not going to show you pictures. Uh, but what did you, what were some of the tables that jumped out at you that you thought were really special? Yeah, if you want to see some pictures, try the Australia Bolt Action page. There's plenty up there. But I mean, some of the ones that just looked amazing was... There's one that looked amazing, which I'll mention, but you'll get a lot of feedback about whether it was good or not, which is a separate question. But the yeah. um, the railway embankment one, which I believe uh, Tristan did, uh, just looked amazing. A huge amount of work. Big, huge rail embankment bridge running down the centre of the road. Uh, centre of the board, sorry. Um, great terrain all around. Um, some players appreciated the different challenge. Some players did not appreciate always appreciate the challenge of having a huge embankment running through the middle of the board that no one could see through or or mm -hmm. uh, shoot over. So mixed views on whether it was good or not, but it certainly looked spectacular. Um, there was an airfield board that looked amazing. There was, a, I believe it was Tunisia, it was some, a lovely board with some great 3D hills on it that looked um, uh, really amazing. Um, Look, there was just every sort of environment and climb you could think of that a battle had been fought of, and the terrain on all of them was like very thoughtful. Um, the jungle boards, great coverage, lots of really beautifully themed buildings. Um, I, yeah, I don't think there was a table there I could fault. I mean, you know, the worst you could say, some of them were only just very good. Um, not that any of them were bad. Um, right. I think that you know the the challenges of playing on some really good train tables are always, you know, there's a trade off there. If you put a lot of train on that looks really good, sometimes they can be a bit difficult to play on. Um, 
one of the boards I played on, in fact, the one I played on with Garrett, we'll talk about in a minute, um, but some of those really dense boards, city-type boards, can make for tough games um, mm-hmm. and really tip things one way or another for players with particular lists. But that's just the challenge of bolt action. You've got to, you've got to have a list that isn't just good for an open sort of European table. It's got to be able to, if need be, fight in some pretty tough conditions. Exactly. And it, it looked from the pictures that they had accomplished uh, something that we've talked about quite a bit on the show is that you always, you, you don't just want a variety in the appearance of terrain. You want a variety in the density and types of terrain so that, as you say, some of the tables were dense city fighting boards. Uh, but, you know, Garrett, I know in your game, he found that that was a struggle, that particular type of terrain. But when he played on other tables, he got to bring that army or his army to different settings, um, some of which, you know, may have been an advantage to him uh, and some may have been a disadvantage. So that you got a nice variety of tables. At least that's what I was seeing on your tables. Um, Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I think whatever army you bought, it got fully worked but after five games, I think everyone played on a table where they kind of went, eh, that wasn't what I was expecting or wanted, but I'm just going to have to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the diversity was such that I I don't think you could have avoid played five games and got five uh, benign tables each time. I think everyone encountered a table that made them scratch their head and push them as players. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm just going to, we're going to jump sort of back and forth between game systems um, while we're talking terrain. I played Marvel Crisis Protocol for this event. Uh, I wanted a game system that I knew I was bad at, if that makes sense, which my wife still doesn't understand. Uh, But I have a lot of fun playing. And one of the reasons why I haven't been to CanCon in six years is um, I, I won CanCon a long time ago. And I've mentioned this on the show before, but I don't, I didn't like the person I became to win CanCon. I didn't sleep much in the run up to it. Uh, I played to win. And, and as a result, I don't think I was, you know, I wasn't as nice a person as I'd like to be. And so I know that I have that in me and I didn't enjoy that. And I know that some of the people I played didn't enjoy that either. And when it stops being fun, you should, in my opinion, you shouldn't do it anymore. So I backed way off. And one of the things that has always been part of my CanCon experience, no matter what game system I played, is that I don't sleep the weekend or the week before because I'm worried about you know what I'm going to bring and am I going to get things done and all this, that, and you know what are my opponents going to have? What are the situations? Am I going to be prepared, et cetera, et cetera. For Marvel... I didn't care and I slept like a baby the night before and I slept like a baby the night in the middle of, which was a new experience for me for CanCon and it was wonderful. But the terrain at the Marvel event, like the bolt action event, was wonderful. There was a, a wonderful variety of tables that told stories from all over the Marvel Universe. There was a park board that had a big gazebo in the middle of it and trees around the outside. There was the Sanctum Centaurum, uh, the Doctor Strange building, but the one from the Multiverse of Madness, which is sort of in the middle of a hellscape with all sorts of weird things happening out, like out in the 
outside of it. Um, that was one of the tables I played on. There was like a wrecked town with um, rusted out sentinels sort of lurking on it. Uh, there were uh, all sorts of great uh, tabletops that weren't just the ones that you see the terrain from the box set. Lots of 3D printed terrain. Um, lots of really clever ideas. It was an undersea board um, that had like a, a, a wrecked pirate ship on it and had all sorts of aquatic plants and rocks. It, it looked really cool. And the event um, really did step it up. Every table I played on looked outstanding. Um, people had put so much effort into that terrain. Some of it was, was brought by the TO. Um, a lot of it, though, just came from the community, and people brought a table or two and then set it up. And um, the person, Abby, who ran the event, um, the tournament organizer, uh, gave everyone a prize who did bring terrain. And I have to say the quality was wonderful and it was a nice variety. There were some tables that had lots of, you know, size five terrain. You had, you know, Quinjets and all sorts of, all sorts of different style buildings, but then all sorts of little things as well. Um, you know, there's a pylon here, there's a garbage can there, there's a dumpster here, there's a bunch of cars and a, some trucks and a taco truck and a dumpster and sorry a, a garbage truck it was it was wonderful to see that as a player that every time i stepped up to a different table it was like stepping into a comic book it was really cool and especially when you recognized a lot of those settings it just made the event sing for me uh, because it is someone who got into marvel specifically because i read the comic books as a kid and i'm i'm an unashamed fan of most of the mcu stuff I really enjoyed that. It really, it made the narrative come to life for me. Um, but yeah, uh, Pete, did you have a chance to pass the Marvel stuff? Cause I know that you've looked at it in the past. Yeah. Well, fortunately it was right by the door. So I went by it a lot. Um, but, uh, look, I looked at those tables. They were really outstanding. Like, yeah. as you say, a lot of them look straight out of the pages of the comic book. And I loved when you stared at a lot of them, you'd sort of saw what I'll call Easter eggs, mm -hmm. um, sort of, you know, references that someone had built into the train. Like one thought I was looking at one of the vans was, um, the mystery machine from Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, they were really great tables <laughs> that yeah. you look like a lot of fun to play on. It, they were great. And the weapon X bunkers, Hydra bases, you name it, it was all there. And, um, half of that stuff got thrown at me or I threw it by my opponent during a game because one of the great things about Marvel is that all the terrain in that game is interactive and, you know, there's lots of rules about how you move around it, through it but more to the point how you can throw it or painfully catch it. Um, and yeah, it, it was a lot of fun or just blow it up and have people caught in the shrapnel. And uh, I saw all of those things happen over the course of, I think every game, let alone uh, the weekend. And um, yeah, I I'm looking forward to seeing more of that kind of terrain at events going forward. Cause I, I'm, I played in a Marvel event a week ago and again, wonderful terrain there as well. Uh, and uh, it has really inspired me because I have a couple of tables of Marvel terrain, but it's, it's, in, it's inspired me to jump out and to do, you know, a little bit more fun. Uh, I did have a, a X-Men Blackbird stealth plane 
3D printed uh, in resin at one point. And then uh, our friend Lee Avery, who I do a lot of my uh, TOing with, airbrushed it for me and it looks outrageously good. And I got to put it on a table in a practice game and just to, to have something like that on the tabletop is so cool. And so I'm going to, I think I'm going to try and get it as you were saying, Pete, some of those Easter eggs in, uh, I'm not sure mm -hmm. how I'm going to get all of them in, but I definitely need to try and add at least one or two Easter eggs per table. And I want to try and get up to five or six tables of terrain for that game before our buddy Nick runs an event, uh, coming up here in May, but, Having gone through some boxes over Christmas, I actually think I have like five tables of train ready to go now. So I think it's to the fun times of just adding those Easter eggs and bulking them out so that it turns into six. So yeah, cool stuff. Now, I will get into my listing and my experience running up to Marvel, but let's jump back to Bolt Action. Now, Bolt Action... Um, there was lots of conversation running up to the event of, is this a competitive event? How competitive is it? And we'll leave that discussion aside because let's not go there. Um, but it, it was an event that did have an expectation that you were going to bring a list that had some teeth. Um, Pete, in your experience running up to the event and playing in the event, um, how did that shape the list you took and your experiences on the deck? Uh, yeah, well, I certainly knew that they were planning on running a competitive event, and I think that uh, uh, I wanted to bring something that was probably a bit harder than I would to, I guess, one of my my events. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in uh, usual contrarian style, I bought Bulgarians. Um, you know, the Love hardest it. list in <laughs> the hardest list in Volt Action. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, yes, no. I had originally intended to bring Chinese, um, but uh, my list was around 160 models um, because it was just all infantry and mortars. It was going to be 25 dice. And um, uh, I got to, I think it was 26th of December, and I realized I'd painted only 26 of them. So I switched to Bulgarians because I only needed to paint 80 of them. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, but no, look, the Bulgarians, um, so they let you take theatre lists. So I took the Bulgarian um, theatre list, of which I only have one. Um, so it was basically uh, an infantry army, two platoons. Bulgarians don't have any flamethrowers, but they had most of the other things like MMGs, medium mortars, anti-tank rifles, and um, a bit of armour. So they have a mix. I took... Um, Couple of Sovervente assault guns, um, two eight rads, and a Panzer IV. So it was a twenty dice list. So twenty dice list with five armor, um, which you know it's reasonably tough. Even just chewing through that many that many dice. It is, and it was a twelve hundred and fifty point event. I wasn't right. sure if we'd said that. Um, so I mean, even for twelve fifty, which is where people tend to bring more toys. Having five armored vehicles definitely is a little sum sum that people need, as you say, need to chew through. Yeah, I think the only person who had more dice on me in the day was Garrett, who had a twenty-two dice French list, but um, it was uh, towards the top of what what you could get out of twelve fifty points. Yeah, very very true. Now there seem to be uh, a lot of multi launchers at this event, which is something I haven't seen in a while. Um, 
that said, as you said, it was only one multi-launcher per army. Um, and as you said, there was two flamethrowers per army. Um, and there seemed to be a fair amount of artillery from people's lists. And I know I saw at least one list that had three Stuarts, uh, sorry, not three Stuarts, three Shermans. So clearly people were um, splashing out on some toys. Um, what did that mean for you as a player on the tabletop? Um, as you said, you were taking something that was maybe a little bit more aggressive than you would normally take. Um, I mean, it, it let me, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, it didn't sound like from talking to you and from any other person I talked to, they all said the same thing. Um, what I heard from other people, but that maybe lists were a little tougher than they were used to, but that everyone was having fun. Am I, am I representing that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, most people were, I guess, in the spirit of the event, they was realized it was a slightly more competitive event. Lists were pretty tough. Some were um, quite, quite tough like the yeah, three sherman list that's uh that's not easy um but i think most people came in with that mindset that that's the sort of event and as you i've discussed on and off i i don't have anything against competitive events i just right. run a slightly different type of event but if that's the type of event you want to run you know that's great and um that's the mindset most people seem to come with and um by and large i think that um, people enjoyed themselves. I think one of the side effects, though, is that when you are running sort of lots of very tough lists, there is always a chance that you'll get a bit of a bad matchup between two very asymmetric matchup between two very tough lists, and someone will just get absolutely crushed. Um, but that's the nature of the beast you're playing in, and I think most people understood that. And so, while well, you had to pick yourself up, which I did um, on mm -hmm. the one occasion, and dust yourself off. Uh, that's that was that was the nature of the game, and you know most people uh, you know enjoyed the chance. I think really to push push themselves and their list to the limit, and so mostly all weekend smiles. And I spoke to Tristan and Hari afterwards. There was you know no no real dramas or um, uh, any dummy spits, which you know happened at my less competitive events. So was, by and large, I think it went great. That's awesome to hear. That's so, yeah, to, just to hear that people had a good time, uh, is, especially at an event where there were so many people playing and, you know, walking by to watch the game um, is just a real uh, feather in the cap for the game. The people, you know, are, are showing that good time. Um, I know that sometimes, and I've mentioned it on the show before, one year we walked by the Warhammer 40,000 event and uh, it was one of the years I was playing bolt action and you could watch and it was, I think it was 150 players and you were watching them and not one person was smiling in the entire group. And you just go, Ooh, that, that doesn't, that doesn't actually advertise this game very well. Um, whereas, you know, the bolt action players uh, seemed to be having a good time. There was, it was a good, it was a good, lively uh, feel to the crowd um, and you know, we were doing the same thing over in Marvel and, uh, it just, you know, it was a good day for bolt action. It sounds like. Yeah, no, great. I didn't, didn't run into anyone who, um, a lot of people had tough games, but there wasn't anyone who said, uh, this is no fun. Um, everyone sort of always took something out of their game and there was all, lots of moments that people were talking about. Um, one of a tiger being taken out by a Stuart, 
um, <laughs> with a shot to the rear. Um, and even, look, the three Sherman list, I was watching one of the last games against that list. It, it's a tough list, but he, the game I was watching, he was playing three Romanian um, T, uh, 38Ts. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, the story was they'd, they'd sort of had a big dust up the middle of the board and they were just shooting at each other and no one could kill anything. Um, I mean, the Shermans eventually won by attrition, wearing them down, but it was just... You know, it wasn't a case that the Shermans just ran over everything. They both players look like they're having a great game. Yeah, man, that's the important thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in my listing for this event, uh, a week ago to warm up for CanCon, because I hadn't played Marvel in quite a while, I took Web Warriors, which is the Spider-Man affiliation, to Albert's event, which is our good friend Albert, who's been on before and has um, has won a ton of bolt action events this year in Victoria. Um, he uh, ran this event, so I brought the Web Warriors, and huh, <clears throat> I often don't play. I often don't have times to practice for events before playing in them, and this was the case for this. So I, I intentionally signed up for Albert's event to prepare for CanCon. Uh, Marvel requires a little bit of thinking and knowing what you're doing before you get it on the table. It's a skirmish game, like Malifaux the same way, or, you know, a lot of skirmish games, they're a little, there's, there's a little bit more to it than just the average push around large army tabletop game. And so I was not prepared for playing this um at albert's event and i got totally stomped in every game i played and it was it was like not fun at all and in my last game i actually conceded at the bottom of turn two because it i just got nuked and it was it was just nothing i could do and my opponent um was very gracious lovely guy had a good time um he was having a good time he was trying but you know it just wasn't working. And I was like, hey, you know what? Take the points. Let's go to the shop and buy some toys. Let's let's have a good time because they're having a sale. And it was all good. So going out of that experience, I had to throw the list I was going to take out the window. And I was going to take um, some 3D printed Mark II Sentinels from the old X-Men comics that I love and adore. They're the same ones you would know from the cartoon if you're a different generation, ladies and gentlemen. Um and I was so excited about running them, but I couldn't get them finished in time. So I ended up pulling a couple of models out of my cupboard and re-highlighting them because they were from when I first started playing Marvel. And I didn't quite understand how the scale worked as far as painting wise. And I just was kind of embarrassed of the way they looked. So I ended up spending a good chunk of the week feverishly painting stuff Um to prepare for this. And again, didn't get a lot of practice in. I did get a game in with our good friend Lee. Um, again, I took the Blackbird in that. But I ended up preparing to play for CanCon using Avengers. And then I actually ended up taking Red Skull's uh, Cabal to CanCon with a dual affiliation for Sam Wilson, Captain America, Avengers. What that actually meant, though, was on the day is I ran Red Skull six games in a row. And in every single game, I ran Red Skull, MODOK, and Iron Man with a few other bits and pieces added in. Um, 
what that meant was Red Skull is a very basic affiliation. The original Red Skull, the one I was running, is straight out of the core box. It is designed to be picked up by people who are starting the game. So it is not complex. Uh, Modoc was the very first expansion to the game. Again, not that complex. Um, a lot of the stuff I was running, Iron Man was out of the core set. A lot of the models I was taking didn't have giant walls of text, but they were effective. And so I started playing and I, my goal for the weekend was to not lose one game. After the thrashing I took the weekend before, I thought that was a reasonable goal in six games. I'm going to see if I can draw someone or maybe win. Um, and in the first two games, again, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, feel as bad as I had in some of the games at Albert's event, not because Albert's event wasn't good. It was great. I was just running a, an affiliation that required a lot of skill and I didn't know how to use it. So I was running something that I had used a long time ago. I had some experience with and was basic and effective. And the first couple of games I lost and I was like, yeah, cool. No worries. Had fun. You know, Modoc did Modoc stuff. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And then I started winning. Um, and in the end, I had three wins, a draw and two losses. Uh, but in the, as I said, in the last round, I played uh, a, a really well-tuned, uh, Magneto juggernaut, new Sabretooth X 23 game. And those are aggressive models. Uh, and I won. Uh, so, uh, and I guess my thing was when I was playing last weekend, it was, I didn't feel like I had a, any skin in the game in that I, I, I was just losing so badly that I didn't feel like I had any agency and it just felt bad. It just felt like I was getting knocked around and I couldn't do anything about it. And I didn't really understand what was happening with my own models, let alone my opponent's models. And it just felt bad. But by the time I got to the last game at CanCon, I actually had a pretty good understanding of what my, my game plan was going into that game. I knew what models I was choosing. I knew what they did and I knew what the mission was. And I, I, I had a game plan of going in and I was able to adapt as it changed over the, the course of the game, even when I'd never faced half of those models and they are scary as hell. So it was a wonderful experience for that. Um, I guess my big takeaway is maybe I should practice before going to an event. And you'd think that at my age, when I've been playing games this long, I'd know that. Um, but especially after playing bolt action for so long, where rifles are rifles are rifles, no matter what army you're in, and you can kind of just pick it up and go, I kind of felt like, um, you know, maybe I should practice this occasionally. Uh, Pete, is that a lesson you've picked up one of these years? Or is this madness that I'm speaking? Well, it's a lesson I picked up. It's just not one I've applied at any point. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I went into CanCon uh, in pretty much the same boat that uh, I had just so fran I was so frantic trying to finish off my 80 Bulgarians that I just did not get in a practice game with them. Mm -hmm. um, I figured they were close enough to the Romanians, which I was running last last couple of events, and I knew I knew how to play that I'd, I'd just chance my arm and see how they go. And look... 
they did pretty well. Um, I came away with uh, three wins and two losses, so I was Brilliant. very happy with that outcome. And um, uh, my opponents uh, were all great. Um, I uh, got the full spectrum of um, uh, armies to play against across a variety of terrain. So it was a it's a it was a great two days and five games. I couldn't have couldn't have asked for um, a better better event. Now, I I feel awkward asking this question as the author of three of the five missions that were played at CanCon this year. Uh, but I do, we are looking for feedback going into the Bolt Action Alliance 2023 mission pack. Uh, supply drop, do people seem to enjoy it? Yeah, no, I think so. It was, in fact, that was one of my my best games um i was playing uh rodney um and uh we had a we had a great nail biting game that was sort of one that came down to the last draw of the dice if he had um in fact he did draw the dice but then he failed his order check to to do his um game drawing move so it was um, <laughs> it was uh pretty pretty uh pretty tense right up to the last second as to whether it would be a draw or a win um so that was an absolute great game supply drop worked really well and i i you know i heard a couple of other people say uh, it worked well on their boards as well so i think i think it's well well refined scenario i wouldn't um wouldn't do too much to mess with it at the moment brilliant well, one of the things that we, I know we kind of promised the mission pack would be out in 2022. Um, work things happened and for a variety of reasons, we didn't put it out um, mainly because we are taking a lot of time to play test it and to make sure that those missions are right. And I think that that, that the success of supply drop, even though the version they were using at CanCon was an old version and didn't have all the updates in it, I think that it, I mean, the playtesting, it came through. And um, as a guy who spent a lot of time playing those missions uh, before I even got to that draft, I'm glad that it it was enjoyed, I think is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, brilliant. Well, Pete, I won't go through line by line of my missions or games for Marvel because, A, I would struggle to remember a lot of them. It was a blur given that I four games in one day, especially when I was running long on a lot of those games because I was still figuring out how things worked. I And in Marvel, you always flip cards to figure out what the missions are and you run two missions simultaneously in every game. Um, I ended up playing a lot of hammers for those who care. Um, and I ended up playing scrolls a lot. And so there was a lot of getting warped around the table, picking things up and getting moved by your opponent. And then, um, you know, getting bonus dice or bonus power before you went to interact with your opponent, which was cool. It, it just, there was a lot of variety to the games and it definitely mixed things up. And it was cool to zip around and have, the objectives in different places. And if anything, it's given me ideas for good bolt action scenarios. But uh, Pete, let's talk about your experience. Um, what were some of the games? I mean, clearly you've talked about playing Garrett and um, I know you've ended up, I mean, you played five games. 
So were there any takeaways from your games um, that you thought were noteworthy, good anecdotal stories, or were you just sort of happy with the quality of the games that you were playing overall? Um, because clearly you did very well. Yeah, um, I, I did well. The Bulgarians are an interesting army to play and uh, they don't they haven't been seen a lot, I don't think, in Australia. So people no. are always a little surprised by their special rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you at home who may not know the Bulgarians off the top of your head, their main special rule is that you can't um, forward deploy snipers, spotters or observers um, at the start of the game and you can't outflank at any point during the game. So mm-hmm. that combination of things actually had quite an impact on my game. So, for example, the game with Garrett, as I previously mentioned, very heavy city board, um, which when you're playing a French list, which like most French lists, the core of his list was three howitzers, um, it's not, if you haven't got lines of sight, plus you can't, haven't got observers to help you out, you're you're in a pretty tough spot. Um, so we had a great game with Garrett and it was uh, hard fought, but he was really on the back foot being on that, that city board, trying to use howitzers and his other big hammer was his cavalry, which once again, when you're trying to charge into rough ground, it kind of limits what you can do. So mm-hmm. um, he he was a bit hamstrung by the board, fought really hard, but it was, it was a fun game, but it just, you know, again, goes to that point we're talking about, you know, train can sometimes just be against you. Um, the other one was probably I, I did play the uh, winner of the bolt action event, Aaron, and mm-hmm. um, absolutely great player. Um, what what I think was really interesting about that match was his army had clearly been tuned for outflanking, so it was Soviets, and he had a lot of um, those five-man engineering squads with flamethrowers and Panzerfaust in trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was tuned for outflanking, and uh, he couldn't outflank. Uh, but he, to his credit, you know, Pulled out, uh, pulled out a new strategy, and um, still managed to crush me into tiny little pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> turns out a truck running from the edge into your Panzer is still just as effective as running into your Panzer from the side. So, anyway, yeah. <laughs> now that's interesting because the CanCon rules ha- um, actively discouraged people from taking soft skin vehicles, right? Because yeah. Um, soft, you'd scoff, soft skin vehicles, if they were hit with heavy weapons, they weren't allowed to roll on the damage chart. They were just destroyed um, if you damaged them. On so anything but a I, one, yeah. Sorry, which one? On anything but a one, they were automatically sorry, destroyed. Sorry, that's right. Anything but a one. Um, did that mean that you saw less trucks? I mean, I, I was a little surprised when you said that he was running a truck. I was more expecting people to be running um, armored transports. Um, there wasn't that many armored transports. I was kind of surprised. Mm. Um, I mean, and that just may have been the lists I saw and was playing against. But um, you know, I must admit, I I had a had a creeping fear about um, uh, Bren carrier spam, uh, mm-hmm. but it didn't really see it, and still saw quite a few trucks. Um, well, I didn't see them so much because they weren't allowed to have flank in my game, so they kept them either off the board or up the back. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but still quite Which a I'm number sure of players. I'm sure you hate it. <laughs> there were still quite a number of players who were uh, using that uh, the trucks as a, mm-hmm. you know, fire and forget up the board. And I think at 1250 points, you can, like, because a lot of them were mission based scenario. In fact, four of the five were mission based, not kill based. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think at twelve fifty points, you could afford to throw a few trucks up the board, even if you, th- even if you thought that they were highly vulnerable. It's it kind of didn't 
didn't mean that you that it was uh, worth the points not to do it. If that makes yeah. sense, it does. I was wondering if that would be the case a little bit because there were four objective-based games and one kill point mission. I was when I saw I was expecting there to be two kill point missions to sort of discourage people from taking soft skin vehicles. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting that I guess people were still taking them because it wasn't that discouraging, uh, because they weren't losing the kill points for them, I suppose. Yeah. And look, it seems where most of the points went were in tanks. I mean, lots of, mm. lots more nine armor, nine vehicles, multiple armor, nine tanks mm -hmm. in lists. Um, and even a couple of a couple of armor ten vehicles where you could still have you know armored cars and perhaps other armored vehicles as well. So that seemed to be where the extra points were going. Nice, nice, cool. Uh, any other takeaways? Uh, it was a very diverse field, actually. I was um, you know twelve fifty points. There was a lot of creativity. I don't know that I saw any two lists that were anything at all alike. Like everyone really tried something different. I don't know that I could say there was any particular meta that um, certainly I saw. Um, I played lists that were heavily infantry and um, the winning list, as I say, Aaron's list was pretty heavy infantry. I'm trying to remember he had um, one Stuart, I think was the only armor he had. Um, everything else was uh, guns and guns and infantry. So mm -hmm. um, even with the big points, the armor didn't necessarily win the day and that, you know, real diversity of lists. So it was great fun. You never knew what you were going to run into next. Yeah, that's cool. Gotta love an event where you're not just facing the same, you know, late war German list in every single event or uh, Indian British list in uh, every single game. But yeah, right on. Uh, well, Pete, before we go, um, it sounds like you would recommend this. And Hari has said repeatedly that they will be back as TOs for CanCon next year. So uh, this sounds like a ringing endorsement for the Hari Tristan era of uh, TOing CanCon. Oh, absolutely. Um, they had 58 people in total. So that is a mm -hmm. huge start, um, bigger than we've seen in years. Um, mm -hmm. I think it will only grow. Um, and they're off to a great start with the train. They were making noises about uh, doing it again next year. Um, we'll see how long that lasts after they get back home to their families and <laughs> and have a and have a chance to reflect on the experience. But mm -hmm. uh, no, it sounds like they'll be back next year. And I think you know, the good thing will be uh, look, it's a great weekend. They run a great event. Um, I think just know what you're entering. As with any event, just um, you know, speak to them if you've got any questions. And but clearly, we're entering into an age where what they want to do. And I think what Warlord wants to do is play something with a bit more competitive edge. Now it's not free for all They're they're still, I guess, taking off the sharpest of corners, but it's obviously just, it's going to be a more competitive scene at CanCon, which is great. And different, different events um, for uh, different people and mm -hmm. everyone seemed to have funds, but just, you know, know what you're getting into and um, be prepared to play for that, be that type of game brilliant yeah man i mean that's the thing right you should always read, read a player pack and know what you're getting into um and thankfully i did the same thing for marvel and knew what i was doing when i walked in for that one as well because uh, i would have been sad had i 
shown up with my 3D printed Sentinels and then found out that that was maybe not the thing that I should have done. So uh, my finishing, my not finishing painting them was a good thing in the long run. Uh, but that's a topic for another day entirely. Pete, thank you as always for coming on, man. It is, uh, it was a pleasure to see you for however briefly between games uh, on the weekend. And uh, I'm only sorry I didn't see more. And uh, hopefully at some point you'll have a chance to come down or I can come up and we'll, uh, we'll get a game in some other time. That sounds great, Brad. I'll see if I can bring down some Red Dawn. Yeah. Oh, you're a bad man. Oh, well, thank you, Pete. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back with new and different games in 2023, plus all the bolt action coverage that you expect from Cast Dice. Uh, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Tear and spin.